Welcome to Tesserai. I'm Bob Stevenson. And I'm Steve Cartwright. All right. Well, let's start this episode right. Thanks for joining us as we explore the integrated Christian walk in light of the ways it's been dismantled. Last week, we talked about prophetic voices and a great conversation with Dr. Andrew Abernathy at Wheaton College. And that conversation was so good that we had a lot of material. And so today, we're gonna give you the second part of that conversation as we continue to delve into the biblical understanding of what a prophetic voice is and does, as well as try to look at the present and uh, its implications for what prophetic voices look like today. So we hope you enjoy the second part of our interview with Dr. Andrew Abernathy. I, as, so as you're talking, I think this capital T, lowercase T bit is really useful. Um, I'm wondering, though, if we should even use the language prophetic. And I, I think what's what's becoming clear is, you know, we when, when we talk about like a contemporary prophetic voice, we're using the word kind of adjectivally, right? Like prophetic speech. It's a quality of speech that... Um, speaks truth to power or that, you know, employs um, that, that seeks to internalize and um, uh, improvise. What did you say? Improvise on with truth or something or. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but that's not exactly what was going on. Well, that's not really at all what was going on, at least in the old Testament context. Right. I mean, cause it's almost like what we're describing is, is exhortation is the act of preaching, is the act of admonishing, to use New Testament language. Um, so is it even legitimate for us to refer to this as prophetic speech? You know, I I like I like the word prophetic, to be honest with you. Um, and I think that the Old Testament prophets um, use such a range of things that they are exhorting, they are challenging, they're admonishing, they're calling out repentance, they're, 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 they're doing a range of things now. Um, and if, if the um, Pentateuch or the Torah and is kind of in the background and they're drawing on that to apply that to a new context, I mean, for instance, there's this beautiful passage in uh, Exodus chapter uh, 34. It's the most quoted passage in the entire Bible. Context is Israel has just broken, <laughs> like right after they get the Ten Commandments, they build an, old, an idol, you know. That's yeah, bad. They blew it. <laughs> and I, God, I just want to say it's so good that we're not like them. I mean, that we've evolved <laughs> to get so much never. better than we, no, we always know. keep our commitments don't we, we do. God? <laughs> so, it's just nice to be able to look down on somebody else for a time you know yeah and, that, and the, what just the kidding prophet, carry on yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what the prophets do or so so yeah so they blow it right god wants to start over god wants to wipe them out moses intercedes god's like all right i'll hang i'll hang in there with israel and and Moses is like, show me your glory. Mm-hmm. And when God shows his glory, what does he do? He shows up through his word. Right. Mm-hmm. He passes by him and he says, 
the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, okay? And uh, forgiving others, etc. So this moment of revelation of God as this God who is just incredibly gracious and compassionate, doesn't wipe his people out. He wants to be known in this way. The prophets come along and they expound that. This is quoted by Joel. Joel's like, hey, look, there's this huge locust plague which it's not sure if it's locusts or armies, like God is going to be destroying you. But yet, I love in Hebrew, I I teach my students this. He says, who knows? (laughs) Maybe God will relent. And that word relent is used in Exodus um, 32 to 34. Hmm. Because he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that they see something of God's character as being one who is gracious, and he he may act in this way even now. You see this quoted, um, you know, by Jonah. He's ticked off at God, that God was gracious and compassionate to Ninevites. Um, so it's a little ironic, right? That he, And what Jonah needs to see is his need for God's grace, too. Um, Doesn't Jonah basically say, like, complain and be like, I knew you were this kind of God anyway. Yeah. And he quotes right from Exodus 34. (laughs) Nice. And he's like, that's why I wish I would. That's why I wish I would die. Um, But, you know, so I think that the thing I like about prophetic is What's hard is we want to recognize that prophetic today isn't always a thus saith the Lord where we know for sure right. that this is a word from God. That's the thing I think that gives me pause. But the but what Paul teaches us is when someone has a prophecy, evaluate it in light of the word of God. Be like Berean, see if it lines up. Hmm. Um, but what I do, what what I like about prophetic is how it speaks into contexts where things have become, if you will, enculturated or set in sediment, like this is how things are. And it gives a new window to say, no, actually, this is not right, or things will be better or different than this. It it, it creates space, I, I think, if you will, for the ability to provide a vantage point that can pull people and communities out from where they are. And this is why I would, I mean, like, so this summer I I was writing a book on, um, on Isaiah, on the reception history of Isaiah is included in it. And in my chapter, when I was working on justice, I said, I want to just see how Martin Luther King Jr. used used Isaiah. Hmm. And I listened to a ton of sermons by him, read a bunch of his sermons. um, And here's the thing that struck me. Is that when he drew on Isaiah, I was expecting him to draw on passages like Isaiah 1, which is pretty much like, you all are rebellious children. You guys are whores filling up your wallets with money to oppress and not get deal with the rights of the orphan and the widow. 
But when I listen to King, he's speaking primarily to black community. And he's not as much speaking words of condemnation as much as drawing on Isaiah 40 to say, look, the crooked places will be made a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. He is pointing to there is going to be a time of a, a greater future ahead. And now I know he does obviously speak truth to power and he criticizes the injustices going along. But what struck me was the power of King to draw upon the prophetic legacy in a prophetic way to envision a future that was far better than the one that the people were experiencing uh, at the time. And I think that's anchored in a conviction that God is working this out. God is going to be bringing about a new day, if you will. And so so I like reserving the word prophetic um, rather than say just saying exhortation, um, because I think it captures what King, what many are, are able to do in opening up new visions, new uh, tapping into a hope or tap, tapping into a criticism that, um, you know, that the prophetic voice is able to do that normal exhortation and discourse can't do. Yeah, that's helpful. Ah, that's very helpful. And I, I have thought that before. I've been like the power and like distinction of King's inside voice is is also been quite interesting. And that's not what gets the most sound bites, right? Um, as the ones when we're speaking to the nation, we're, think, we're thinking about policy or we're hearing um, a speech on, uh, you know, receiving the Nobel Prize. Like those, those are... Those are all these external pieces that are so well known and for good reason. Um, but the distinction there is pretty powerful. Um, and also, Bob, I can't I can't believe you, man. We're almost through an entire episode. And now you want to stop saying the word prophetic. Like we've been saying it this entire episode. I didn't say that. I just kind of wanted to make sure from an expert. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man, that's good. Um, so <clears throat> because. We might want to continue with this. I don't know how much we'll be able to fit into this one versus like if we were to do this again. So we can maybe explore more with it. But I would like to hit one more question with you, yep. um, Andy. And then we'll just, you know, if we want to, if it's way bigger, then we'll try to extend it to another week. Yeah. So um, this marriage, this marriage of justice and righteousness that, you know, is not like a, it's not a new concept by any means, but it's something that it, it gets me, uh, it, it, it has pulled me in for some time and like, especially being on working at a college campus and you're going to hear, and rightfully so, you're going to hear so much talk and passion about pursuing justice, you know? And, um, and I think that's where my bent is too, is like going in that way, but knowing how the two righteousness and justice are tethered together, I, I'm concerned that there is forsaking of one for another sometimes. And we've already talked about some of the ways in which why that happens. You know, maybe it's from leadership that has not pulled properly from that uppercase authority, uppercase T authority um, to the lowercase. Uh, but I want to speak whatever you'd like to say a little bit about that, that union. But how can we how can we merge those better without trying to condemn or send us down a path of legalism? But to yeah. like see that this is crucial to your message, but also um, this is crucial in the Christian walk. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point. And 
Steve, you, you, you can chime in on um, if I'm getting your question right. Um, are you concerned with, all right, people will be calling out injustices as they see it in the world, but they might not be as alert to the holiness of living in their own lives in terms of living righteous lives. Is that kind of what you're thinking? You know, yeah. So, so where you might become really good at calling out, um, you know, police brutality, but then in your own life, what, what internet sites are you looking at? What, um, are you telling your truth to your professor when you say why you had to miss class or why you're asking for an extension, you, you know, like, yeah. Is there a disconnect between being socially engaged, you know, and concerned about justice and the call for righteous living? Um, is that kind of what you're seeing? And you're working with students more than me. So you're you're probably seeing that. Yeah. And, and, and I want to be clear, like it's it's in my own life, too. You know, it's yeah. in, it's in, it's in our lives as believers. I think it's just so palpable because of the passion that exists for justice. Yeah. And, and and I think it's even come as my mind as I'm like. We're trying to, we're always trying to um, sift or parse through uh, a movement or a political side, you know, and so yes. the side that yes. talks about justice is not necessarily going to be doing it from a biblical perspective yes. or having that is. Yes. But if you're coming at it from a Christian perspective, you have this, you could see it as burden, but you have this, yes. this righteousness and justice going together. Otherwise, yes. like, it's just kind of, you know, it, it's just, it's just justice. Why? You know what I mean? Yes, Me, yes, yes. yes. And it, I, I think that's a great, great point. Let me just say two things to it. The first is I, I was preaching at a church this last weekend, and um, I talked about justice and righteousness. It, it comes up in, in a passage I was preaching on. And I talked a bit about justice and social justice and how God's calling us to care for, uh, make sure the most vulnerable in our societies are experiencing justice and that this is part of what we're called to and uh, a guy came up to me afterwards and you know and I kind of knew what was coming right um, and he, he said social justice to me has become a four-letter word and you know he, he shared a little bit about that and and I and I see that among a segment especially the evangelical uh, church is the, the, some are concerned that what's being talked about in terms of justice or social justice in our world today might be including things as part of the agenda that may not align with the sort of righteous vision of life that scripture is also calling to. Um, but so I, so I think there's a tension in many respects about the point you raised. But for me, it's so darn clear um, that you can't punt on the need for justice for the most vulnerable in society just because others have co-opted it in a way you don't like. Right. Scripture right. is calling you to have a vision of justice. Let it infuse your vision and go for it. Don't just sit on your hands and Say, I don't like what the Democrats are doing. I don't like what the Republicans are doing in terms of this. And you just sit back. No, get involved. 
act on it. Let your vision develop in light of scripture and, and act and let God empower you. Um, so that's, that's one thought. The, the other thing I would just say, which is fascinating, there's this Jewish scholar, his name's Moshe Weintel, and he's studied every instance where the combination of justice and righteousness occur in the Old Testament when they occur together in the same like sentence or, or verse range. And what he found was this. He, he found that when those word pairs are used together, he calls it a hendiatus, which means they're basically two words that you're using um, to express one idea. And where they're expressing one idea, that idea is social justice. Okay, this was before wokeness and all that, <laughs> these phrase that gets thrown around today, you know, Moshe Weinfeld was seeing very social dimension to when justice and righteousness are used together, particularly as social justice. But when they're used separately, justice will relate especially to like the, the decrees or decisions that are made, whereas righteousness talks about what is the right order of things in terms of how life should be lived hmm. and i think that more attention could be used to what is that right order of life in terms of how things should be lived and what happens is justice then springs from that is when you see that a mistreatment which doesn't enable people to live how life is supposed to be lived in this right order then judgments can kind of flow um, from that. So, um, so anyways, those are a few thoughts just in terms of thinking Old Testament wise at this concept of justice and righteousness, which is so important in the prophets like Isaiah and, and, and Amos, especially. This has been super helpful. And uh, I've really appreciated um, hearing from you, Andy, and uh, kind of drawing on your expertise and just the way that you're able to uh, reach into scripture, uh, not just as a, as a scholar, but as one who's familiar with the heart of scripture, it's been really refreshing and uh, useful as we've been kind of uh, interrogating this idea of what it means to be prophetic. So thanks so much for taking time to out of your busy day to, to talk to us. Yeah, of course. It's a pleasure to get to be on with, with you two guys. Blessings. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Abernathy as much as we enjoyed having it. We'd love to keep this conversation going. You can connect with us on Facebook and on Twitter at Tesserae Podcast. Until next week, this has been Tesserae.